What a finish from Balogun. Oh, Benyera, beautifully done. Bobby Young, surely. There it is. Mbappe now. Wonderful. Got to be. Lovely finish. That's the goal. Terry Mbappe. It's Ellie White. Ellie White. Well, it's been coming. Hello everyone and welcome to Le Beaujeu, the official Ligue 1 Uber Eats podcast in English. It's our final pod of 2023 and we're going to look back at the last two weeks of the French First Division. What a fortnight it was. Paris Saint-Germain made it a European high, eight wins in a row. That's a current European high, but Kiki wasn't on the score sheet. Marseille have found their scoring touch, however. Nice conceded a goal. Yes, that's right. You heard it here first. Nice have conceded a goal. And they lost for the first time this season. And drumroll, please, producer Stephen, because Olympic Lyonnais have won a match. And what's more, it was at their home ground, Group Armour Stadium. Yes, it truly was an epic couple of weeks in the French game. We're going to also going to look ahead to the final round of European action this week as all six Ligue 1 clubs are looking to continue into the new year in Europe. Angus Tarode is going to tell us all about Luca Chevalier, the penalty-saving goalkeeper and the latest great Lille glovesman, while Luke Entwistle will preview the massive clash between Nice and Lens as that traffic jam behind PSG in the race for European places is really heating up. You can get involved in the conversation on Twitter or X, as it is now, at League One underscore ENG. And don't forget on all your podcast platforms, like, subscribe, follow and recommend. And why not even give us a review? Angus, to do things properly and in order, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you doing? All right? I'm very well. I'm very well. I've been very busy down under and it's getting very, very hot. Sydney has been Saturday. We were 42 degrees, um, which is hot. Summer is on its way. It's very wet. Cold here, so it's a complete opposite of where you are. But um, it was quite entertaining watching Paris Saint Germain against Nantes at the weekend, so uh, that was quite good. And got Paris Saint Germain against Borussia Dortmund coming up as well, which I know we're all going to talk about. Fantastic, big match, very, very big match. Luke Entwistle, how is the Riviera in winter treating you? Not 42 degrees, but it feels not too far off. You know, I think you can't complain if it's 16 degrees and Fantastic. Well, it still got the uh, the knit out for the pod, Luke. So we'll be hoping to get a video clip of that out onto onto Twitter this week as well. It's uh, become the uniform for Luke Entwistle every time he's on the pod. Great to see. Okay, well, let's start with a review of rounds 14 and 15. And not forget that there were also a few postponed matches um, that had to be played. First of all, there was Montpellier, who drew 1-1 with Clermont Foot. Now, this is a pretty disastrous operation for Montpellier because they haven't won since they were leading Clermont Foot 2-0 back in round eight with about two minutes left to play. They were going to pocket the three points. One of their supporters threw a firework onto the, onto the field right next to the, next to the goalkeeper, Maury Dior. Um, so the game was called off because Maurizio couldn't continue to play um, after this firework had gone off. 
Montpellier were docked one point in the league standings. They had to replay the match and it finished 1-1. So essentially, they've lost three points because of their supporter that threw a firework onto the pitch. There was also Strasbourg with Brest. That one finished 1-1. And the final match was probably the one that everyone was uh, most waiting for and licking their lips to catch. It was the final playing of the round 10 clash between Marseille and Olympic Lyonnais. We all remember the terrible scenes of Fabio Grosso arriving at the Stade Velodrome with the cut around the around the left eye. Really horrific scenes, the, the likes of which I'd never seen before coming into a professional football match. Well, that one was replayed. And unfortunately for poor old Olympic Lyonnais, it ended 3-0 to Marseille, Vitinha, Murillo and Aubameyang getting the goals there. So... Marseille starting to find some form. Luke, they're finally starting to click into gear under Gennaro Gattuso. I think that's four wins in 10 days if you take the 4-3 win over Ajax, which was also a massive, massive win that they they desperately needed because it keeps them in a a good position in their European group. They defeated Rennes, then they beat Lyon 3-0, and then Lorient in the final match of the round last night by four goals to two. 13 goals scored in four games. Aubameyang is finding his form as well. He got two goals and two assists against Lorient. What's happening? Was it all because Gennaro Gattuso said his team were playing like Malakias and since then the, the, the players have turned it all around? I mean, it feels as though he's kind of just very subtly tinkered with the formula and, you know, he's just basically now playing with two strikers, Vitinha, Aubameyang, and that's, they seem very, very, very complementary. I mean, when you think about Aubameyang when he was at his best at Arsenal, and when he was at his, you know, that very brief spell in Barcelona where he was actually quite good as well, he is always best when he's got a proper strike partner. You know, he, he you know, got on so well with Lacazette on and off the pitch. He had a great connection. And I think that when he's either put out wide, as he sometimes has been at Marseille, or when he's left alone as just a lone striker, he just doesn't look anywhere near as good. He's nowhere near as efficient. And I think the burden of, of having to take the chances, I think it kind of takes a toll on him a little bit. But I mean, I saw a statistic that in 21 games, he's got 18 goals and assists since, you know, since Marseille. And that, it's extremely impressive. You know, he's not, he didn't score. He'd only scored one goal and it was against Le Havre until late November. And then he's just kind of kicked into gear. But he was getting assists before that, but something has really changed. And I think it is just being able to play alongside Vitinha, who himself looks a little bit more liberated. Also not having that, you know, goal scoring burden, I think one at a time, you know, either or didn't work. But um, but having both at the same time is, is really quite, yeah, it's, it's quite fruitful for figure two. So, and it does look all of a sudden that they've just completely turned this corner. I mean, against Lorient in the second half, it wasn't totally positive. I mean, Lorient had so many chances no. and should have and yeah. could have maybe got back into that game. So I think that that tactical formation switch where he now has two strikers, I think that needs to maybe be evened out somewhere because... They do look a little bit too open defensively, but goals have been an issue for Marseille all season, especially under Marcelino, but even still under Catuso. So I think that now that has been addressed, you need to address the defence, but it's it's definitely a lot more positive now for Marseille compared to how we were speaking about them two to three weeks ago. Well, they do find themselves now in sixth place on 23 points. They're just two points behind Brest. Amazingly, Brest, who are still in the European places at the moment. They do have... European football coming up. They're travelling across the channel, Angus, to Brighton. Um, they're currently sitting top of their section in the Europa League. They're a point clear of Brighton. They're already qualified 
for at least to go through, but um, we know it will be important to finish top of the group. Do you think they can do it, Angus? They're undefeated in their Europa League group. How are Brighton travelling on the other side of the, the channel, do you know? And, and what do you think Marseille can do away from home? I mean, this is the Marseille side that were, that were losing every game of their European travels normally over the last decade or so. So this, this too is a great turnaround. Well, in terms of Marseille, I think that, um, yes, definitely they can do it. And I think one of the main reasons why they can is because uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is now beginning to fire, particularly setting up goals, which is um, a little bit surprising. He's done more of that than actually scoring himself. But nevertheless, it doesn't really matter, does it? As long as the goals keep coming. It didn't help Lionel Messi when he was at Paris Saint-Germain. <laughs> I thought we were talking about Marseille. We are, we are, we are. I'm just saying that, you know, we can't say that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is amazing scoring one goal and, and 10 assists because that's essentially what, what Lionel Messi did in his first season and it didn't work at all for him, remember? Yeah, very true. But uh, let's face it, let's put, you also have to bear in mind who Lionel Messi was surrounded by as well in doing that. So, uh, um, But anyway, back to Brighton, <laughs> which is a lovely place, by the way, if you ever go there, although at this time of the year, it's probably much the same as here. But um, they are an extraordinary club. I mean, they're one of the most surprising clubs to come out of England into their top flight in the last 10 years. I mean, it's a club that was nearly bankrupt when I was a teenager. It didn't have a ground. It came back from really the depths of nowhere. And it was a series of um, very, very smart decisions that took them back up into the top flight. And the latest of which, they seem very good at finding managers. Roberto De Zerbi is one of the most exciting talents, I think, anywhere in Europe. And it's quite astonishing, I think, that Brighton have still got him, if you're, if you're honest. I mean, they've, they've had players that have come and gone, managers that have come and gone, and it's made no difference. They have just continued to build. And Zerbi uh, came in off the back of really good work by Graham Potter, and he's just taken them on again. And I must be when I, when I saw the, uh, the fixture list, Brighton against Marseille, and I'm like, that was a, a fixture that I never expected to see, <laughs> maybe ever, to be honest with you, when you, when you know Brighton's past. It's just incredible. It just shows the dream of little clubs is still there. Well, I'd love to, I'd love to see their operating budget, Angus. I, I'm 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 pretty yeah, sure now, now uh, their their operating budget now, is yeah is, is absolutely. But it's true what you say when you look at that it's group. Smart work. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. With Ajax Athens are in mm. that group, and so are Ajax Amsterdam. So they're 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 traditionally big clubs in their countries. Ajax, of course, are. A, are a monument in in Europe as well. So no, no, they've done they've done very well, and I guess Nice fans will be curious to see as well because we know that Farioli was assistant to De Zerbi, and and De Zerbi has really been like the front runner for this latest generation, the sort of post Gattuso generation. So yeah, it will be will be an interesting one to see how Gattuso goes because I'm sure Gennaro would love to get one over his compatriot there as well. Angus, sticking with you, let's move on to the other big story of the weekend, which was Olympic Lyonnais. Amazingly, they won a match of football with Pierre Sage as their coach. I mean, the interim who's been sort of said, look, you're going to have to stay a bit longer because we're, 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 we're trying to find the, the coach. But at the moment, it's Pierre Sage who's got his first win after replacing Fabio Grosso, um, who was sacked after the 2-0 loss to Lille. Alexandre Lacazette with a hat trick. Angus, is this Leon now? I mean, they're suddenly, all of a sudden, they're only two points off the playoff position. 
having just won their second match of the season. They're only three points off safety all of a sudden. Well, I think none of us really thought that they were really relegation candidates, did we? I mean, you know, I mean, no matter how catastrophic their start was, it was pretty their catastrophic. Players are too good. I mean, it was catastrophic. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But at some point, they were going to to sort it out. The only problem they have is that um, they're rather dependent on Alexander Lacazette maintaining his recent goal run. Um, I mean, he's reached what 100 goals now, isn't it? In um, in Liga, he, um, Ben Yedder did that earlier, and uh, I think there's there's a couple of others. Don't like Kylian Mbappe, obviously, in the 21st century. Um, but uh, the, the, I suppose the big question is: Will keeping uh, Pierre Sargent be a wise move? Because uh, that is the um, you know maybe he will stay. Oh, you got there in the end. <laughs> Jimmy did. Jimmy Brown I mean, got there in the end. He's doing a reasonable job. <laughs> I, I saw something in the keep that he's been nicknamed by the Lyon fans, um, Wise Stone, uh, which just, I'm not sure what, what I have yeah, to say okay. about that. Um, they just translated it. Well, explain was... it. Explain it to the non the non crankies, <laughs> well, the non francophones in the listening. Well, um, Pierre is is a stone, and, and Sarge is is wise, and the the Lyon fans have apparently just translated that and made it his nickname. Uh, so that's the story. I just to be honest with you, though, doesn't that just show how low their expectations have gone? Because <laughs> he's only got one win. Yeah. Yes. So he lost the first game. Yeah. But they'll take anything at the moment, I think, Leon. They're just grasping onto anything that will come along. And I would imagine they're led by their new president from the United States, John Texter, who who must be wondering what on earth is happening to his investment. Yeah, I, I think that he has a little bit of credit for being an internal kind of promotion candidate because, you know, he, you know he's part of the, the, the club pre-Textor. And I, I think that they like to grasp, especially given the fan protests at that 3-0 victory, there were lots of protests against multi-club ownership, against John Texter. I think they're kind of liking to grasp onto anything that is French and also anything that is basically linked to the, the pre-Textor era, uh, which, which I believe he is. Quite amazingly, Jean-Michel Olas was sitting in the, in the stand just behind John Texter as well. And I thought, I thought there might have been some sort of restraining order or, or court cases involved, which meant those two men could not be within several hundred metres of each other. But there they were, sitting both uh, in the stadium, watching their beloved Olympic Lyonnais. The thing that really struck me about this game was the three Alexandre Lacazette goals were all very, very similar. They were all right place at the right time. I think one was a header that that was glanced off by O'Brien, the, the, the Irish defender who scored three goals this season. Came off his head, hit Lacazette, and he he managed to turn it in. The next one was um, Toliso, who hit the post. It bounced straight back to Lacazette, who scored. And then the third goal was the same again. It was another ball ricocheting around, fell to Lacazette, and he finished. So, you know, you could say that all three goals involved, uh, if not luck, luck. you know, Mm -hmm. striker's instinct, shall we say. And I I think you you mentioned Jake O'Brien, and this is why I think there is still difficulty ahead for Leon and why. I think it is still pertinent to have them in that, that relegation conversation, even if I know John Textor denies that, saying it's good fodder for conversation. Well, we'll, we'll make it good fodder for, for conversation in here. But, you know, I think there's still issues because prior to this weekend, Jake O'Brien was the joint top goal scorer at Lyon. He's a centre-back who came in for 1 million 
who was not even supposed to play for the side who was supposed to be shipped immediately back out on loan, potentially to Molenbeek, obviously part of the Eagle Football Group family, uh, in quotation marks. So I think that there is a massive, if Lacazette, like, uh, like Angus said, if Lacazette is not screwing, I think there's a real lack of goals. There's lo- loads of very raw products in that team. Uh, you think of Marrero, but also uh, Nuama, the, the, the winger as well. You know, they're very, very, very raw products. Mm-hmm. So I think there's still difficulty ahead. And I think that a lot does depend on Lacazette and does he keep scoring? And also, does he stay? Because I've noticed in Le Progrès, they were talking about him and Tolito, the two club captains, potentially leaving uh, Lyon in January, Mm -hmm. which that was prior to to Grosso's um, kind of departure. So maybe that has changed uh, the kind of feeling within the group. But um, should he leave, which maybe is unlikely, I think there would be in real, real difficulty once again. I think it's a little bit unfortunate on Fabio Grosso, to be honest with you, a little bit, because, I mean, his, his record latterly is not that, is pretty much the same as um, Pierre Sarge, who's taken over. He also got a clean sheet, 1-0 against Wren, which is not a bad uh, result to get. Um, and it's ironic we were talking about him earlier, the fact that he was so badly injured in that game against Marseille earlier. And then, of course, he's at that game this time around because he's been uh, been fired. but. I, I I still think sometimes that clubs, they do tend to hit the parachutes rather early. And um, I didn't think he was doing that bad a job. And that if they just stuck with him a bit more, that uh, that, it, that that things will, would turn around. Because Pierre Sarge so far, I mean, for all the fact that he's a wise stone and all the fact that he got a three three goals, that was a down to Lacazette again. It was a clean sheet. But as I say, um, Grosso got a clean sheet too. So it does strike me as they're just making a change a little bit out of panic and maybe Grosso would have been the answer in the end. I think they were starting to have some some noises coming out of Olympic Lyonnais though that the players were were not working with with Fabio Grosso weren't there there were wasn't there a report from training that Grosso said something like you know if you want me gone you're going to have to go and tell Texter to sack me, but first of all, someone here has to to, to have the courage. Shall we put it that way, using the most uh, clean word to, <laughs> from his phrase? Have the courage to say it to my face. Yeah. Um, so it, it would appear that tensions were were palpable in 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 between Fabio Grosso and his squad, and even earlier than that. Yeah, but again, why why does that mean that it's the coach that has to go? Why don't doesn't the chairman in those circumstances come down and go? We are backing him. He's the man who's going to do this. Now sort yourselves out, because it's always the coach. I mean, that goes. I, I think that Textor essentially did that. He's very public in his support. It's easy to change one manager rather than you know a squad of eighteen players. But it seems like they, he lost them quite early. I mean, there's that story in October even of the mole in the dressing yeah. room and him cancelling the training session, it, it seemed like he never fully had them on board. Um, and I do agree that, you know, the manager's always the fall guy um, when, you know, he's not necessarily the source of the problems. Um, but, you know, I think the problems are higher, you know, higher than Grosso, you know, rather than below him. I think that there's a lot of talent in that squad that can be exploited, but um, I think there are just issues higher up that, that need to be solved. And, you know, if you're going to, change something it always has to be the manager in this circumstance I think to go back to what you said Robbie um, was that maybe the reason why Jean-Michel Olas is there even though they don't like each other is that he does have experience and maybe you know the fact that he's there means that uh, there is something he can still contribute in an advisory role even if it's very unofficial and not public but it does seem surprising that he's there again after all of the bad blood that happened when he was effectively thrown out 
Absolutely, and I don't. I think everything you said since then would not uh, encourage John Texter to bring him on as as any sort of advisor <laughs> at all for for the for the relationship they have. What just to finish on the Leon discussion? Then I mean, this is the Olympic Lyonnais that we remember going back twenty years now, um, if you can believe it. Won those seven league and titles in a row, but it was a club that was so stable. Now, obviously, it's easier to have success when you're selling players, when you're bringing in lots of money, when you're, you're playing well in the Champions League. But this, what we've seen since basically the Brazilian Silvino was, was brought in and then gotten rid of after only, what was it, six games, that started this mm. period of instability with Juninho back as sporting director. We had all these changes. I mean, this is a club that n- would never change coach in the middle of a season and now we've seen it twice already this term and it's changing you know every six months there's no stability so when Luke you say that perhaps there are issues higher up the the food chain than than just the coach I distinctly get that feeling if you're talking a a club like Olympic Lyonnais saying a club that was built on its youth academy that was built on having these players stay with the club be loyal to the club want to return to the club Everyone in France would wanted to play for Olympic Lyonnais. Remember, they'd go and get the best players from Lille. They'd get the best players from Monaco. You know, your your Abidals, your Toulons, all these guys later on after your Maludas, all these guys that would come Essien, come to Olympic Lyonnais to to play. This was the club to play for. And now, to to think that there are rumours saying that our club youth academy graduates who came up through the ranks, France internationals, Toulouse won the World Cup went away, won the Champions League with Bayern, played for Arsenal. These guys want to come back to the club. And when they do now, after six months or a year and a half, like we're going to get rid of them. We're going to farm them out. I mean, that's just, that's just crazy. That is so far from the Olympic Lyonnais that we, we learnt and grew up with over the last 25 years. It's astounding. Anyway, that will be enough on Olympic Lyonnais. Will Stills runs side. Made it three defeats in their last four matches. But mind you, these defeats were against PSG, Wren and Nice. Although, well, perhaps Wren they wouldn't be too happy about. Um, the Nice result was a tough one. They were level briefly through Abdelhamid um, late in the second half. Only for Jeremy Boga once again to get another very important goal for him. He's starting to uh, provide that little spark for this Nice side. Brest. As we mentioned, they're doing very well sitting in fifth place. It's quite a remarkable story for them. Uh, They beat Mess in round 15 by a goal to nil. It's three wins in an undefeated run of four for them. Rennes are still struggling despite having claimed victory in Julien Stéphane's first game in charge. They've slipped down to 12th now after losses to Marseille and Monaco. Patrick Vieira's Strasbourg ended an eight-match winless run, which included four defeats by beating Luave. Luave, who have been doing very well, the promoted side. They lost to Brest in that postponed round 12 match after falling in Reims in week 14. I want us to have a quick little chat, though, about another side that came up last season that won the Coupe de France, that are playing in European football this year, and all the noise coming out of the Southwest. Um, and I'm not talking about Bordeaux this time um, because the noises out of Bordeaux are not good either down in the second division, but Toulouse. Toulouse are now winless in eight. They've lost four of those. 
They are the side that lost to an Alexandre Lacazette hat-trick and Olympic Lyonnais. And there's plenty of talk, Luke, that uh, Carles Martinez Novel, their young Spanish coach, may not quite be flavour of the month down there at the moment. So it seems, I mean, it's it's really quite odd with Toulouse because I think the results in Europe have been largely positive. I mean, bar that kind of thrashing at Anfield, obviously they beat Liverpool in the return leg at the stadium. Um, and that was, you know, that was, that was a great result for them. And I think the results in Europe, as I say, have been largely positive. But in, in Ligue 1, it's been, you know, very, very lacking. I mean, lots of late goals have been conceded in, you know, 85th to 90th minute plus stoppage time so many times, throwing away results, throwing away three points. But it seems as though, as you say, you know, he's no longer flavour of the month and it feels as though the, the tide is turning away from him a little bit. But I think he he has unfairly gotten off on a on a poor footing at that club. I think that the he was brought in basically midway through last season to be an assistant to Philippe Montagnier, who obviously did great work at that club, got them promoted, got them to the Coupe de France final got them an, you know, an incredible win in that, that Coupe de France final. I've never seen a Coupe de France so one way, you know, and it's such a surprise given that Nantes had won it the previous year. You know, they had experience of winning it. So, you know, you can't downplay the the incredible work that Montagnier did to win that Coupe de France title. And then beyond that, he kept them in the in Ligue 1 after getting promotion and did so very, very comfortably. And then you've got Novelle who comes in mid-season to be an assistant to, to Montagnier. And then at the end of the year, you know, you think that Montagnier is going to, you know, be taking charge of that club going forward, and then suddenly he he leaves, and Novell gets basically promoted. And I think that that puts him on a poor footing with the the players um, that he's supposed to manage because it, it gives him a bad image of this person who's come in basically and taken the job off of Montagnier, you know, kind of quite unfairly because it, it was a sacking that was deemed to be very unfair and very very harsh. So I think he's been he's got off on a bad foot with with the squad who will maybe see him as a figure who. Maybe, you know, did take that job essentially off Montagnier. And then you're already starting to get noise out of the club. Tista Linga, um, who has actually had an incredible goal scoring record this year for Toulouse and is now a, a Netherlands international as well. So, you know, a, quite a prolific striker at this point, you know, shown great progress and will likely get a big move at some point. You've got him being benched and then being very, very vocal in his criticism. Um, you know, I think he finished off by saying, we'll talk about it you know, not in the television, but in the dressing room. But I think he did enough talking uh, to the television as well. Basically very, <laughs> the very... The horse had bolted, I yeah, think. I think it had. Um, so he was, you know, clearly very, very unhappy. And he, I, I think at this point, I think it's fair to say that he is the standout player in that squad. And if your talisman is unhappy, and if you are losing the rest of the dressing room, which according to reports, he's looking increasingly isolated at the club. Um, I think that this is only really going one way and I don't think it ends necessarily very, very well for, for Carlos martinez Novel. Yeah, Thijs de Linga, he came off the bench in that match and scored within 10 minutes of coming on as well. That 1-1 draw with Lorient, they managed to concede a 91st-minute equaliser against Lorient. Bombardier getting there, so de Linga was not happy. He took it out uh, rather publicly against, against the coach. And the coach and, and the club have tried to paint over and say, look, he's made a mistake, he... He's a he's a player who was disappointed with how it went, but you know, in some respects, they got him to to score what could have been the winning goal coming off the bench as well. So it almost worked for them. Angus, are we seeing the limits of Moneyball in football here, where we have these sides that that look at stats and and computer printouts of of who's doing what? I mean, it's a real United Nations. They need perhaps a more experienced coach i mean they've got a moneyball coach as well a young a young guy who's 
who's been brought in to to do the job clearly. But you know, it takes a a little bit of cohesion. We like we still like to think of our football romantics to bring a football team together. It can't just all be all be statistics, can it? Well, that's what I was thinking. I mean, that was at the heart of the the breakdown, wasn't it, between Montagnier and Damien Comioli at the end of last season? Was that uh, Montagnier? I think did see the limits of uh, Moneyball, and uh, and I think the limits are when you compare it to baseball, which is where this kind of approach came from in the first place. Baseball, even though it's a team sport, is still very much an individual sport, if you like, mm. because of the nature of the game. In football, it's very collaborative. Um, all the time. It's moving all the time. It's not just one throw, hit, run. It's, you know, interchange. It's tactics. It's all of those things that uh, you need to tie together, you know, on the move, on the flow. And I think that um, the other, when you have that, is that money ball approach works in terms of bringing perhaps the players in, which they proved. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about that. I mean, they, they, they went shopping around Europe and pulled in some fairly unlikely characters and they gelled them but that's the the difference the job in football was the coach even though he's been presented with this and he has to believe in the project and say okay this will work out in the end it's probably what happens in the short term he's still got to get those players to play for each other and I think this is where it's beginning to go wrong and for that to happen then the players have got to buy into the coach as well as the system and they certainly did that with Philippe Montagnier um, I'm not saying it's Damien Comioli's fault per se, because if you have decided to go down that road, then you do need a coach that is fully committed with you. Otherwise, it's just not going to work. So it didn't work. So they got rid of Montagna. They brought in a coach who was prepared to do that. But the problem is, is that you've got rid of a coach that the players liked and believed in. And so it's a very unfortunate uh, si- system or situation that they've got themselves into. And the funny thing is, is it is working in Europe. I mean, they're likely now to be in the the Europa League um, knockout stages after the winter break. So it's working there. It's ironic. It's usually the opposite way around, isn't it? When um, uh, when an unexpected club gets into Europe, they fall apart in Europe um, and generally actually fall apart in uh, the league as well before they get that sort of balance sorted. But um, not with uh, with Toulouse. But it's not going to help if you also alienate one of those players who came in as a result of the system you're employing. So it's a, it's a very unfortunate place to be at the moment for Toulouse in terms of Liga. Otherwise, Toulouse is a lovely place to be the rest of the year. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is very nice down in the, in the southwest. Very good rugby teams, but also good food down there as well. Um, one more team to talk about then, and that is... Paris Saint-Germain, they made it eight wins on the trot at the weekend. They overcame Nantes um, by two goals to one. Bradley Barcola got his first goal, and it was a great individual goal, first goal since moving from Olympic Lyonnais. Randall Colomwani got his fifth goal, all um, five of them coming off the bench for PSG this season. This was after PSG... Um, got up 2-0 over Luave the week before. Mbappe got his 15th of the season there. He is way ahead of everybody else in the race for the top scorer, um, which is how it's said these days. There's even a special badge um, that's uh, ironed onto the back of Mbappe's shirt, the top scorer badge, which uh, I, I guess I don't need to really translate for, for too many people out there. 
um, for, for, for leading the way again. He's been top scorer for, for four seasons now in Ligue 1. Um, but Angus, what did you make of this one? Because Nantes, um, in that match against Nice the week earlier, inflicted Nice's first defeat of the season in a match that um, was unfortunately marked with the death of a Nantes supporter um, just before the game started in a little, uh, well, incident involving travelling supporters, which means we're going to have probably no more travelling supporters to just about any game um, in France, at least for the foreseeable future, which is a big shame for travelling supporters and has made a lot of noise. But the first... um, Big news to come out of that, of course, which we we share our uh, the feelings of many, which is that you should never go to a football match and not come back, um, perhaps a little bit drunk, but very happy having seen a football match and not lose your life um, at a football stadium. So that, of course, is very terrible. Um, but Angus PSG against Nantes. This is a Nantes side that are proving difficult to play against, and they proved again so in this game. Well, first of all, I would imagine that um, the PSG bosses will be sending a nice Christmas card to Nantes uh, this year because they've done them all kinds of uh, favours, haven't they? Uh, Beating Nice, um, which actually um, allowed um, Paris Saint-Germain to extend their lead over them to four points. And then, of course, they lost against them this week, so um, they've managed to stay that far ahead. they, interestingly, actually, Bradley Barkler, just to, to whip back at, I think that that's also one of the big problems that Leon have had. They've got rid of too many of their important players, and you can't keep on doing that and expect to progress in an upward way. They, they've done it too many times. Yeah. But anyway. But they needed the money, didn't they? Well, they did. But the trouble <laughs> is, is that, you know, one thing leads to another, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. so, yeah. so maybe we shouldn't be quite so ambitious with our plans for Leon until they recover. Let's talk about a team that doesn't need the money at the moment. Well, apparently, let's talk about Paris Saint-Germain then. They, they struggled, actually, in the first half. It was, uh, I commentated the game, and frankly, I was a bit bored by halftime. It, was, um, it wasn't going well, but Nantes defended really well. They, uh, their structure in defence was fantastic. Mbappe, he was virtually anonymous for, for the whole game. It's very rare that you see him hardly have a chance. It was just um, very, very well done. Of course, they weren't counting on Bradley Barkler, who ironically started in uh, Mbappe's left side position and, of course, scored the goal. There was a lovely assist from Vitinha. Um, and it was really terrific. His first goal, so it's worthwhile uh, mentioning that, and it probably won't be the last. He's, he's been linking up beautifully with Mbappe since he arrived. They clearly uh, they operate on the same wavelength. You've got Lee on the other side, who also seems to get on well in terms of uh, interchanging with Mbappe as well, which is why perhaps Mbappe is now in the middle, because then he can interchange with both of them. And um, no, they, they worked it out, though, Paris Saint-Germain. They, they got the lead just before half-time. Really, I was going to say against the run of play, but only in terms of the way that Nantes had held out, not in terms of possession or territory, which was dominantly Paris Saint-Germain's. But uh, in the second half, they got a bit better. And I think the reason is, is that in the second half, Nantes were forced to be a little bit more ambitious and it opened up the spaces between the lines. And of course, once that happened, Paris Saint-Germain looked a lot more threatening themselves. Absolutely. I, th- I think the, the Kylian Mbappe number nine debate might be one that, that goes on for a little bit. I mean, I think Luis Enrique is denying that he is a number nine or he's playing through the Middle East, kind of going for this whole spiel about him having the freedom of the pitch essentially um which is his argument but it does 
the you know to us seem like he is playing you know through the middle um which is quite bizarre given the incredible investment that psg made in the summer not only on randall cole who was getting on for that that hundred million figure also Gonzalo ramos who's whose transfer has also since been made permanent and that's another very very considerable investment so within that context it's a little bit bizarre i think it's fair to say that you're seeing Mbappe feature in those spaces in which they've invested so heavily? Does that show a lack of faith in the signings that they've brought in? I mean, I think Colomuani has struggled, granted, but I think, you know, there's been positive signs. I think the same actually goes for Ramos. Ugo Ekitike might uh, agree <laughs> yeah, with that Yeah, that I think comment. so as well. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think there is there are questions to be asked there about were the right areas definitely invested in? Because if you're going to basically move Mbappe into the centre, even though Javier, once again, Luis Enrique says he's not playing there, I, I think there's questions to be asked whether that was those two investments, um, you know, making both of those investments was definitely the best move for PSG to make. All of the goals of um, Randall Kolomouani have come um, as a substitute. Uh, he did look good when he came on. He looked dangerous. Um, he uh, More dangerous than I've seen him of late. So, uh, may, you know, maybe that yeah, will all work out. I mean, they need a big squad because they've got lots of games. Well, a big game coming up. Just quickly, because we're, I've, I can feel the heat from, from producer Stephen, the fact that we're going to go over an hour again, which was is our eternal quest to try and keep it under, which we, I, I guess we can abandon that idea for this one. So make yourselves comfortable, pod listeners. We've got a fair way to go. Luke, relatively quickly. Um, there's no Usman Dembele in midweek for Paris Saint-Germain. They really got out of jail against Newcastle at home. It was a... A, a disappointing performance, I think, really for for Paris Saint Germain supporters and and Ligue 1 supporters, because you would think Paris Saint Germain at home against a side playing their first Champions League campaign in over twenty years, Newcastle should have enough in what was a, an important game for Paris Saint Germain. They've got another important one coming up now away to Borussia Dortmund, a win, and they're through top of the section. They're they're basically through. Um, well, no, they're not through. They're, they're a loss, another loss, which would be their third in this group stage, would not only be the, the most losses they've had in, in the Qatari era of the Champions League, but could see them into the Europa League for the first time ever. Yeah, I mean, that'd be pretty catastrophic. And I mean, it's, it's, it's really difficult to predict this match because PSG, it's, it's been spoken about as a very transition, transitional year. And what you're seeing there for is quite inconsistent results and I think that is most most evident in the Champions League and you really don't know what what team is going to is going to turn up I think that Dembele is a big miss I know that Luis Enrique is a huge fan of of the player and I think that even though he doesn't necessarily have the stats to back that up currently I think he's been uh, up there in you know alongside Mbappe as maybe the most important player in this team especially in attacking phases I think he does a lot in terms of destabilizing and just in one-on-one situations I think that you know he's attracting two players at once all the time and I think that you know that can't be overlooked so I think that he's a big miss uh the return of Warren Zyomery who's supposed to apparently start would be a huge plus because I think that he has been missed in the midfield even though I do like Kangin Lee uh, and I do like Bettina as well two players I really do like but I think that Warren Zyomery is, is a really really important figure there so impossible to predict I don't know what team is going to you know, you know which which team's going to turn up, but they really, obviously, as you say, need to get a result there. And Dortmund is not an easy place to go at all, so uh, it's not over yet. I think, though, that Robbie, that um, the, one of the big ones as well is Marquinhos coming back as well, just at the right time. He played an hour at the weekend against Nantes, 
Didn't look like he'd been away. He was in all the right places, exactly where you would expect. They decided, obviously, to, to rest him for that last half an hour to make sure that he's OK for the, the Dortmund game. Um, and it was good to see that, uh, you know, his uh, hamstring injury looks like it's gone away. Zaire Emery coming back. We were talking about, you know, the difference that they can make going forward. But I think more important is the, is the defensive structure coming back with Marquinhos and Zaire Emery, who's the complete midfielder. He too, he, he came on, didn't look like he'd been away and did a great job. Uh, and so I think that there are reasons to be cheerful. I don't think it's so surprising that Paris Saint-Germain are not as strong as usual. They have gone in a different direction. They've got lots of new players who are gelling together. And um, I think that if they get through here, this will be one of their, um, one of their, their major achievements, to be quite honest with you, with a, with a new squad, mainly French-centric, younger. And if they still make it through, then I think it augurs very well for the future. Well, it will be interesting. There's also the question mark over Gijo Donnarumma, um, who has well, proved yes. sometimes not as secure as houses, as uh, safe as houses as you you want one of the best goalkeepers in the world to be. So um, he was suspended at the weekend um, after getting sent off against Luav. He uh, could be back, I assume, for for the Champions League. I mean, I assume Luis Enrique will will put him back in there. Skrinya as well. Um, will probably return to the starting eleven, so there will be more changes. But yes, Paris Saint Germain need a win to go through to be one hundred percent assured of topping that section and going through. Lens are another side that need a draw. They can't go through to the last sixteen of the Champions League. They currently sit in third place in Group B of the Champions League, behind Arsenal and PSV. They take on Seville. Um, Seville have just been told they can't travel to the game. Any supporters, that is, can't travel to the game. The club, of course, can. (laughs) Otherwise. (laughs) But the Lens fans have actually said that they will give up some of their tickets to the Seville fans that have already paid for travel and accommodation so that they can come um, and watch the game. Lens have said, we've travelled to all three destinations in our group this season and had a great time, travelled in big numbers, never had any problems. So we don't see why the French um, authorities have banned Sevilla's fans from travelling. So they are taking it upon themselves to make a space for them and a way end within their ground for for Seville fans that are already making their way there because that game's going to be played tomorrow. So good on you, Lance. You are you tick a lot of boxes. Let's hope you get at least the result you need to stay in Europe into next year. Marseille. We've spoken about them against. Uh, Brighton and their chance to go through. Ren take on Villarreal. Now, that's a big game. Um, they're both assured of going through already, but if Ren can get a draw at home against the Spanish side, they will go through top of the section in the Europa League as well. Villarreal will go into a playoff. Um, Toulouse, we've spoken about them. They need to get a result against the Austrian side, Lask. Union Saint-Gilloise could catch them, but to do that, they'll need to beat Liverpool, which probably won't happen, let's face it. Lille are the other side, the final side involved in European competition, um, and they need a win to go top, to stay top of their section. Um, If they fail to do that, if they end up being second, if Slovan Bratislava can overtake them, then Lille would have to take on one of the third-ranked Europa League size dropping down into the Conference League. It all gets a little bit confusing, but Lille are currently top of their section and all things being equal, will go through top of that section. 
You're listening to Le Bourgeois with Luke Entwistle and Angus Tarode, myself, Robbie Thompson. Don't forget to like, subscribe, review, and tell your friends all about the podcast, as well as get involved in the conversation on X, Twitter, at League One underscore ENG. You can also always send us an email. We like it when uh, the listeners send us in a question or two or or uh, want to just have a conversation with myself or, or producer Stephen. Why not? Say hello. Time now for one of our uh, special features. We're going to have a player profile. Lille's goalkeeper, Luca Chevalier. Um, didn't always choose to do things easy. Life between the sticks is often thankless, but this 22-year-old um, from the north of France is drawing plenty of praise at the moment. He is playing very well this season. His first season and a half as really first choice between the posts for this Lille side. Um, and he has recently uh, pulled off the incredible feat of saving two penalties in the single match. He seems set for very big things. Our resident disruptor and literary loose cannon, Angus Tarode, has more. It was almost once said that all footballers are equal, but some footballers are more equal than others. If George Orwell had indeed written a book about football, he might well have gone down this track. Such an imbalance has always existed in the beautiful game. The excitement around creative players and goal scorers, the vacuum that sucks glory and praise away from almost everybody else on the pitch, especially in today's money-flooded environment. One of the world's best goalkeepers can provide 89 minutes of rock-like reassurance, scattered with diamonds of shot-stopping brilliance and making up for the profligacy of a succession of missed chances by his outfield teammates at the other end, only for it all to be forgotten in an instance because of one error, one misjudgment. Goalkeepers second, perhaps only in the blame game, to referees. Well, one of his attacking teammates can have a stinker of a game for 89 of the 90 minutes, but then score the winner and become a hero. All previous missed chances and general poor play forgiven in just as brief an instant. But every so often, like recently this season, sunlight does reach the void behind the frontman, past the goal scorers and creators to those shoring up the back line, those last lines of defence whose job it is to try to ensure that the team's leads don't turn into lost points. Goalkeepers have quietly been quite the talk of the town or the league of late, whether it be the great wall of clean sheets built by Marcin Buka around Nice, formed so good only six goals conceded in 15 matches that he's just made his debut as a full Poland international. There's, of course, the continued domestic brilliance of French-keeping sensation from last season, Brice Somba, trusted with the captaincy at Lens this season, with a flurry of clean sheets in the last nine Liga outings, helping his team recover from a truly awful season start to rise off the bottom of the table to the outskirts of European qualification. And like his Polish colleague at Nice, also now a full international player. It's not just the established pros, though, who've been impressive of late. Take the record-equaling heroics of PSG's fourth or perhaps even fifth-string shot stopper, Arnau Tenas. The young Spaniard unexpectedly thrust into the role of mitigating a goalkeeping crisis in the French capital. Usual number one, Gianluigi Donnarumma had had a pretty good start to the Ligue 1 season for PSG, but his seven clean sheets and only 11 goals conceded in 13 Ligue 1 matches was completely forgotten 10 minutes into his 14th outing away at Le Havre. Not that the experienced Italian's expulsion wasn't worthy of criticism or comment, and red cards for keepers usually require the sacrifice of an attacking outfield star to bring on the substitute custodian between the sticks. But such is the imbalance in the apportioning of blame that it was even raised by Luis Enrique, 
the PSG coach. With the sending off and subsequent suspension of Donnarumma, plus existing absences of Kaylon Navas, Alexandre Letelier and Sergio Rico due to injuries, 22-year-old Tenner so far, after his first start against Nantes, is holding together a situation so precarious in the capital that PSG had a 19-year-old from the academy on the bench, with a 17-year-old also promoted to the first-team training sessions for the build-up. At least Donnarumma should be back for the club's trip to Dortmund in what will be a season-defining final group stage clash that will decide whether PSG will still be in the Champions League or in the Europa League after the winter break. Donnarumma will also be missing for the next Liga outing at the Stade pierre Mauroy, which raises the intriguing prospect of seeing Tennis opposite another rising 22-year-old shot-stopper, maybe even show-stopper, Lucas Chevalier. Yusuf Yazidja and Jonathan David might have grabbed the headlines in their round 14 2-0 win over Metz, as forwards often do. But the star of the show for Les Dergues that day was definitely their northern native at the other end, who by getting in the way of two penalties in that match, became only the fourth goalkeeper to save two spot kicks in a league and game in at least the time since Opta started collating such statistics in the mid-noughties. That might be rare historically, yet two of those dual rebuttals actually happened this season. The other, who else but the previously mentioned Great Wall of Buka, keeping out two separate attempts by Monaco's Fanarin Balogun in September. But back to the other end of the country in Chevalier, born in Calais just over 22 years ago, two years younger than Bulka, he watched 14 matches of Lille's astonishing title win in the 2020-21 season from the bench, a prime seat from which to witness the unquestioned number one at the time, Mike Meignol, help his team defy Parisian might, a stint that took him into the French national team. Still only 21 at the end of that campaign, Chevalier was overlooked when the France international left for Milan, with Lille choosing to go into a Champions League season with Leo Jardim, who'd missed the lost glory having spent the season away on loan at Portuguese side Boa Vista. But when the returning Brazilian leaked seven goals in the first two games of the new domestic season, Lille brought in Ivo Gribic on loan from Atletico Madrid. That move didn't work out either, and the Croatian shot-stopper was dropped mid-season. By this time, the young Chevalier was enjoying a good season on loan at lower division Valenciennes. And in any case, Lille turned back to Jardim for the rest of the campaign. But if the start to that season had disappointed expectations, the next was even worse, at least after the first two matches. And finally, Chevalier's big chance came after Jardim conceded 13 goals in the first six matches of the 2022-23 campaign, most of them in an absolute drubbing at the hands or at least at the feet of Paris Saint-Germain. Lille torn apart by Neymar, Messi and Mbappe, all hungry for imminent World Cup selection. Kylian Mbappe needed less than nine seconds at the start to score one of the fastest goals in French top flight history, and his hat-trick contributed to an avalanche that saw Lille leak seven goals in a single game at home for the first time ever in any competition. Jardim lasted three more games before coach Paolo Fonseca dropped the Brazilian, who not too long afterwards was shipped off back home to Vasco da Gama. Five goals conceded in Chevalier's first appearances, though, didn't seem very convincing. But five clean sheets in the next nine certainly did convince his superiors to trust him for the rest of the campaign. Now confident Chevalier's start to the current campaign has been even more impressive. Nine clean sheets in Lille's opening 15 matches, with his consistency a critical factor in Lille's defence, only conceding 11 goals so far. Only Buka better. And his two safe spot kicks highlighted another final round performance. But here we return to a theme. His second save to deny Lamine Camera only allowed him to redeem what could have been his funeral because of it being him that had given the penalty away in the first place, 
perhaps the only thing he did wrong in the entire game. Chevalier's saves had paved the way for Lille's victory and had them inside the newly extended Champions League places this season. Remy Cabela even praised Chevalier's remarkable performance, saying, if we are here now, it's also because we have a great keeper. He can reach very, very high levels. And why not the French national team? I think he deserves it, and it will come. Chevalier, already a French under-21 international, is reportedly ready to be in contention to play for Les Bleus at the Olympic Games. But a Frenchman who can save not just one penalty, but two in a single game, if he carries on like this, might he not be useful in generating more positive headlines if his country find themselves in another major international final next summer outside of France, say in Germany? Thank you for that, Angus. Yeah, one of the things that I think looking at, at Lille and, and their latest goalkeeper is the fact that they're one club that seem to do goalkeepers very well. We look at, I mean, obviously Paris Saint-Germain have had some fantastic goalkeepers. Marseille had Steve Mondonda for, for so many years. Sometimes a goalkeeper is one of those positions where they stay at a club for a long time. Lille, it hasn't always been the case. They, they can change goalkeepers, but they seem to get it right. Mike Mignon is obviously the, the, the latest one before Lucas Chevalier, who took them to the title. Um, maybe they did have a little period there where it wasn't quite settled in between finding Lucas Chevalier. But before that, there was Vincent Eniyama, of course, um, the Nigerian star. Mikel Londro won the league with them as well a decade ago and played a number of seasons there. So it is interesting. Luke, what do you make of, of Lucas Chevalier and the, this current crop of young goalkeepers coming through? Yeah, I mean, I really like him. He's a, he's a very good shot stopper. And I, I kind of like a goalkeeper that has the, the fundamentals and, and the, the kind of the old fashioned, can you, can you call shot stopping an old fashioned trait? You know, it's something that is maybe being sacrificed <laughs> in order for the, the, the goalkeepers to be better with the ball at their feet. But I do like that he's got the basics and the fundamentals of what constitutes a, a very, very good goalkeeper. So I do like that about him. But he is also, you know, he has all of those modern aspects of being good with the ball at his feet, you know, being very composed. Uh, but, you know, we saw that shots off in, in particular with those two, two penalty saves. So, um, yeah, I really like him as a goalkeeper. And it, it's once again a, an element of, you know, Lille do find goalkeepers and they do bring them through. And as you say, they don't keep them for long. But I don't think that's a negative thing because if they're going elsewhere, it means that they're coveted. And, you know, Magnon was certainly that. Chevalier reportedly is that with PSG apparently interested. And also they, they always ha or usually have a good succession plan and they've got the young Lissandro Olmeta, the, the, the son of Pascal, who's currently coming through. And it feels as though if Chevalier does move on, then they've got someone waiting in the wings in one or two years' time. I think he's only 17 or 18 who could potentially take that position. So, I, yeah, I, I think that Lille get a lot of things right generally, but definitely in the goalkeeper position, uh, they do tend to get a lot right. And Chevalier looks to have a bright future. I know that Magnon... Um, speaks about him very, very highly, saying that you know he has the potential to be a future France number one. Um, you know, Manuel himself is still quite young, so you know you'll have to displace him if he's to do so. But he certainly has a bright future, and you know the fact he's attracting some elite interest is, is only a good sign. Yeah, he's he's attracting a lot of plaudits from a lot of different goalkeepers. Alexander Akija, who didn't save his penalty um, against um, the Jonathan David. Uh, he, he came up to him afterwards and he, he made a beeline for him. And I think this is nice when an older goalkeeper goes up to a younger one and actually expresses how much they appreciated seeing them perform during the game, even though he was on the wrong end of it. Um, he's, he's, I, I like the fact he's good at the basics. One of the things I like as well is he's good in the air. 
which I think is something that is missing from a lot of modern goalkeepers, as we call them. Um, he's confident. He's waited. He's had to be patient. I mean, he was overlooked uh, a couple of times, um, even though he was at the club, and so that they could bring Leo Jardim back a couple of times to get in front of him. But I think in the end, the club have done it well. They brought him through. And now he's undoubtedly the number one at that club. And uh, his form is one of the big reasons why they are so high up in the table again. And once again, a threat at the right end of the table. Last season, maybe the season before that, they didn't, re they didn't really um, defend their title very well. Last season, they struggled to really get a European campaign uh, get going until they sort of came in at the end and rescued it. Um, but yeah, and I think a lot of it is that uh, we talk about attackers, but you do need the basics as well at the back to, to, to make sure that those goals that the strikers score actually mean something at the end of the game. Yeah, and I mean, you, uh, on Chevalier, but also you touched on Volker. I mean, some of the standout performers, and I think it's only natural since, you know, there have been fewer goals this, this season and there are multiple reasons, tactical and, and organisational and, and systemic reasons why there are fewer goals. But there's definitely, um, yeah, goalkeepers are standing, standing out more. And I think Volker is arguably, um, if not the player of the season so far, he's very, very high. I mean, Nice's defence collectively is, is very, very strong and they don't let too much get through to him. But I think that in, in some ways actually gives more credit to Bulka, who for so long in, in periods of games is out of the game. Uh, you could, you know, he could lose concentration, yet he doesn't. And then when he has to make the big saves, which infrequently he does have to do, he's very much, you know, he's there and his shot stopping ability is, I think, the best in the league currently. Um, I think he's maybe the best shot stopper alongside Donnarumma. Um, and I think the Bulk has, you know, outperformed every um, goalkeeper so far this season, you know, very at ease with the ball at his feet as well. So I think that it, it's interesting to see this new trend of us picking out goalkeepers as star performers and defenders out as star performers. Because as you say, that the, the focus in recent years and I think naturally over decades and decades has been on uh, attackers. Uh, so it's nice to see a little bit of a shift this year. Just a quick word on Arnaud Tenas. Uh, who could well be challenging for that goalkeeper of the season if he carries on the way he's had. He made a record equaling seven saves on his debut, a rather unexpected one. You were talking about Donnarumma, who was sent off. Obviously, he's in goal at the weekend as well against Nantes, and he probably will be in goal as well against Lille at the end of the week as well. So he's he's got a big chance here to, um, to really stake a claim. He's a Barcelona product. He comes from a... If ever a, f a family of goalkeepers, this is it. Grandpa and father, both goalkeepers, came through the academy at Barcelona. They were very excited about him there. So I think that Paris Saint-Germain here, that is definitely a, Luke, um, um, a, a, a Campos uh, signing, if ever there was one. It's a fantastic move, I think, by Paris Saint-Germain. Probably Luis Enrique had a fair bit to do with it as, as well, well. yes. All right, it's time for our French football quiz. That presupposes either A, long-standing Ligue 1 fandom, or B, a penchant for data mining and ad hoc spreadsheet development. That's right, it's Deja Who, which gives you, the listeners, a chance to win a Ligue 1 jersey. This month, the jersey up for grabs is Montpellier Youth Academy graduate turned journeyman par excellence Remy Cabella, who now applies his trade with Lille. So... To answer, to win it, to go into the chance, to, uh, to go into the draw, to win the jersey, all you have to do is correctly answer one of the questions from this month by naming the player you think I'm talking about. Now, it could be a current or former 
player, you have to act quickly. I mentioned last episode that I had taken pity on our contestants by giving you an easy one. The softball questions have not lasted any longer. We're back to tough questions. So here we go. To answer, you have to send us an email to league1podcast at gmail.com and tell us who you think it is. So here we go. Who am I? I joined the team I supported all my life when I was just 11 years old, working my way up to the reserves by the age of 16. I then headed to the National Football Institute at Vichy for the final three years of my youth training. Now, the National Football Institute, or INF Vichy, was the forerunner to Clairefontaine. It moved to Clairefontaine in 1988. Before then, it was in Vichy. So we're going back a little while. I returned to my club at 20 years of age, but my dream turned sour. I made just two first-team appearances before heading to Ligue 2 with two separate clubs before returning once again four years later to give my dream one more chance. In three seasons, I made 57 first-team appearances, scoring six goals before hanging up my boots at just 29 years of age. I went straight into coaching, and after four years in the youth academy, my dream took another form. I was given the reins of the first team and took them all the way to the Coupe de la Ligue final in my first season in charge. That game ended in defeat and somewhat set the tone. I went on to lose the Coupe de la Ligue final four times with four different clubs. It was close as I ever got to lifting a trophy outside of an Intertoto Cup and two Ligue 2 championships. In total, I coached seven different Ligue 1 sides as well as one foreign experience. Who am I? And who do you think I'll be coaching next? So that we'll be asking for a little bit of a reason, perhaps, for for who do you think I'll be coaching next. Um, If you have it, send in your answers to league1podcast at gmail.com. You can go in to the chance to win that Remy Cabela Lil jersey. Okay, it's time for our big match preview. Nice and Lens have both been impressive form of late. Young tactical coaches, the very young Francesco Farioli at Nice, the, the young in terms of experience, Franck Ez. Um, they've got fantastic squads of footballers playing very tight-knit. Um, good football, good football clubs. We're seeing Lens at the moment involved in the Champions League. Nice currently sits second in the league and be wanting to take that position off Lens. Um, next season by qualifying for the Champions League. They were in Europe last year, Nice. There's a massive clash coming up between them in round 17. Who will have the competitive edge? Who will get under the other's skin? Our roving reporter from the French Riviera, Luc Entwistle, gives us the lowdown on this fascinating tactical battle with big implications at the top of the Ligue 1 Uber Eats table. Both OGC Nice and RC Lens have shown strength of character this season. Questions were asked of Lens at the start of the campaign with the club who last year ran Paris Saint-Germain close to the title, failing to win any of their first five games and picking up just one point in that time. In light of that plight, Franck has, has brought the basics back into Lens's game. 
The overwhelming strength of the Songhe Or is their defensive solidity, and having rediscovered this strength, their bounce back has been steady and incremental, albeit not spectacular. Results in Europe may be erratic. Their two performances against Arsenal, one or two on victory at the Bolat, the other assist another defeat at the Emirates, is a testament to that. However, in Liga, at least, Lons have found consistency rising up the table from bottom after round five to put themselves back into contention for the European places by the end of round 15. It has gone from we have to be worried, which is what I said after a 3-0 defeat to Monaco in early September, to our results are much more in line with what we hoped. Hez is not one for, for hyperbole and is the first to point out the imperfections in his size. But he recognises where Lance have come from this season and this character that they've had to show since those difficult early games, which left the word relegation on the tips of some journalist's tongues. Hez's opposite number, Francesco Farioli, has not experienced as much adversity this season. The inexperienced Italian arrived as an unknown quantity in the summer. However, he's certainly made a name for himself since. He guided Nice to a 13-game unbeaten streak, keeping 10 clean sheets during that time. And with just six goals conceded so far this season, Les Aiglons not only have the best defence in Liga, but the best defence in Europe's top five divisions. Nice have been statistically impressive, although their playing style has often been contested, with some vocal critics highlighting the lack of speed in build-up, lack of chances created, and the lack of goals scored as well. France Under-21 manager Thierry Henry highlighted this fact, even if he did caveat his statement by saying that he did not want to attack anyone. Uh, maybe no pun intended. Despite that criticism, Farioli has stuck to his principles, which are based on solidity and a good organisation and shape both in and out possession. It is those principles that took the regime to the top of the league, and even if they've since been displaced by PSG at the top of the table, it's clearly a winning formula. By round 14, Nice were incredibly yet to go behind in a game, and there was a natural curiosity to see what would happen when they did trail, or even worse, uh, lose a game. The inevitable became a reality at the Bourgeois last weekend with Quentin Merlin's goal enough to give Les Canaries the win in Justin Gervinek's first game in charge. Whilst Nice could not work their way back into that game, they've rarely looked more threatening in attack. That was the case once again against Stade de Reims on Sunday. Parioli said prior to the game that Les Stadis, things were close to clicking into place in an attacking sense. It would have to click against Reims if they were to show a reaction to their first defeat of the season. Nice were wasteful in the first half, but deservedly took all three points thanks to second-half goals from Gates on the board and Jeremy Boga. We showed lots of character, showed a good reaction to last week's defeat, said Captain Dante after the victory. However, when I asked the Brazilian about the attacking performance, he wasn't wholly satisfied. We have the quality to do more. We can definitely do better. It is getting better, but we don't make it count enough. With the players we have, we can do better, and we are working to do so, was his reaction. On the face of it, Nice Lons holds no promise of goals. In the last two games between the pair, there's been just one goal, whilst it is also an encounter that sees the best defence in the league come up against the fifth best defence in the league. The latter, despite their difficult start, have conceded just two in their last seven league and games and have six clean sheets in their last seven. However, despite only conceding six all season, Nice have conceded two in their last two games. As they begin to open up, Offensively, they are opening themselves up to conceding more and more, and Rance's goal on Sunday was the first conceded by Les Aiglons at the Allianz Riviera since the 20th of August. There is therefore reason for hope of a more open match and hope that the undoubted talents of some of the individuals in the respective forward lines can show their best level. 
tell you why he has been inconsistent since his arrival, only scoring four goals in all competitions since his summer move from Montpellier. Whilst he could have his work cut out against Dante and Jean-Claire Todibo, both of whom have been uh, imperious so far this season, he has the speed to exploit Nice's high line, and the midfielders and defenders certainly have the distribution as well to pick out those runs. Terry Murphy is another striker yet to display last season's form, but he too could thrive off a high line, off which he says he feasts. And this is goals conceded at the Emirates, shows that the Lens defence is not infallible. Muffy, Laborde and Boga can all exploit those weaknesses and cause Johnson, Cradi, Kevin Donso and Vagando Medina plenty of issues. The midfield battle promises to be an intriguing one too. Nice's midfield could be lacking Kevin Charam um, and his dynamism and his line-breaking ability with the French international suffering from a knee injury that requires further assessment. But Les Aiglons should numerically outnumber their counterparts and exploiting this advantage could be decisive. The wider permutations of this match could also have a bearing on Frarioli's and Ace's approach. Both teams are well in the race for Champions League places this season, and a win for either side will be a big boost for their chances of qualification come the end of the season. It's hard to say whether it will be a high-scoring affair at the Allianz Riviera, but it should at the very least be a very high-quality affair between two sides hoping for Europe next season. Thank you, Luke Entwistle, for that look ahead to uh, what promises to be a massive match of football. Angus, these big games in Ligue 1, um, they're ones to look forward to. This one on the eve of Christmas as well promises so much because we know both these sides on their day. We've got an attacking Lance side against a Nice side that's built their success this season on its defence. It's, it's got all the trappings of a, of a tactical masterclass. Well, a lot of this, I think, depends on how uh, Lance managed to cope with um, the fact that they're playing in midweek games, the Champions League this week, and that um, game they're coming up against them is the midweek of next week. So they've, they've still got um, a lot of games to come. They don't have the biggest squad, which means that uh, if they get any injuries, then that will also have a major effect on, on how this goes. Um, I think the thing about Lance is that they've done really well in terms of they've recovered from losing Seiko Fafana. The midfield is going to be a big battle I think, in this game, as well as every game that they have now, because Fofana used to carry them. When they weren't playing well, they could always depend on him to provide the inspiration that would come through. And now he's no longer there, of course, then they, they need others to come through and deal with that themselves. And they've, they have now begun to do that. They've been inspired by Brees Sumba. Nice, of course, have lost now for the first time. So whether or not they will see that as a release because of the pressure that was building because they were the only unbeaten team, or whether or not that will now affect their confidence. Because, I mean, they're having the best start they've had now, I think, since back in the days just after I was born, which is um, uh, beginning of the 70s. So they, they've been spectacular uh, <laughs> in the way that they've built. And, and I think that we've seen this from these coming for a little while, but they were just struggling to put it all together at once. This season, now they seem to have got it together. And uh, they, they're very good at the back. Danch is in as good a form as I think I've ever seen him. At the back, he's commanding all those around him. At the weekend when they won, he was still like a little boy celebrating. He's got every bit as much enthusiasm as he had. And they're tactically, they're very, very smart. I mean, five goals conceded in 15 games is just stupid. I mean, how have they done that? It's just incredible. It is. It is a, a, it is a remarkable, remarkable defensive record they have um, so far this season. And of course... They are the side that defeated Paris Saint-Germain earlier in the campaign as well. You're listening to Angus Turode 
Luke Entwistle and myself, Robbie Thompson. We're almost done. Don't forget to get involved in the conversation at League One underscore ENG on X. And of course, all your podcast platforms like, subscribe, follow, and recommend. It's time now to look ahead to the next two weeks and the run into Christmas. Angus, we'll stick with you because round 16 has some very big football matches coming up. It starts on Friday after the European matches, Monaco against Olympic Lyonnais, two sides that normally we would expect to be uh, flying the French flag on the continent. It's not the case at the moment, so they go head-to-head on Friday. Um, Lens will warm up for that match against Nice with uh, locking horns with Reims, a Reims side that uh, are still punching hard but just not getting the knockouts that uh, they have had under Will still so far this season. We've also got Toulouse against Rennes in a, a little six-pointer. Marseille looking to continue their great form against Clermont as well. And then the big one to finish at Lille versus Paris Saint-Germain. Lille could do a lot of teams in that chasing pack a favour if they could get one over Paris Saint-Germain. And they have proved a little bit of a bogey side in recent years for Paris Saint-Germain as well. Angus, what do you like coming up this weekend in Ligue 1? Well, usually I like to go for a slightly different, um, you know, smaller kind of fixture, but I think there's no getting away from Lille against uh, Paris Saint-Germain in this uh, next round. Lille, I think, again, what we were saying earlier about Lens also applies to Lille, how they come through um, their uh, European uh, game in midweek. And I think that uh, they come up against, like, easily the best away side uh, this season in Paris Saint-Germain. Lille have been reasonably good at home, but I think that they've been improving as the season goes on. And again, I think it's going to be fascinating here because it's going to bring the two young goalkeepers up against each other with Chevalier at one end and Tenas at the other. And uh, I don't know, I suppose just because I've done a piece on goalkeepers, I'm pretty interested in seeing that. So (laughs) that's what would be my choice. Excellent. And then the final round of football for 2023, round 17. It will be on Wednesday, the 20th of December. Luke? Um, we know that there's a big match coming up between Nice and Lens, but we've already heard all your thoughts on that one. So I'd like to to pick your brain on another of those midweek matches that will all be played on the Wednesday night. Then um, Olympic Lyonnais against Nantes is one. Montpellier, who are in free fall at the moment, host uh, Olympic de Marseille. I know there is another round of matches in between, so it's not uh, always that easy to... Uh, chat about a game here. Strasbourg against Lille, Toulouse versus Monaco. What's uh, what's tickling your fancy here? Oh, I'll, I'll go for the slightly obscure one and go for kind of Brest-Lorient, which is a slightly local derby, as is Montpellier-Marseille, actually. And, and that will be uh, an interesting match because of the local rivalry and because of the, the two very different trajectories currently of the two clubs. But I mean, you, you say it's hard to predict, you know, because it's a match in between. But but Brest look very, very strong and Lorient look very, very weak. And, you know, it's a local derby of two clubs going like Montpellier and Marseille in very, very different directions. Eric Coir has done a, an incredible job there. And you're you're just still waiting for the drop-off, even when there weren't performances in a little blip where they didn't get a win in, I think it was three. Performances were still there. Uh, they were still performing very, very well week in, week out, notably against Monaco. Lorient, meanwhile, have lots of talent. I mean, we've, we've spoken a, a bit about Krupi, not today, but we have in the past, and they've got some experience in there in terms of Bakayoko. But it's just not kind of, it's not coming together. And I think they'll be battling down there right until the end, whereas Brest, I think it's, it, you know, 
can we put them in the European conversation because they're there or thereabouts and and they could remain there because they've shown no signs of any kind of drop off and all of their key players keep performing. So interesting local derby. Um, and I, I think that'll be a really good watch. Fantastic. Well, that is that for this final episode of 2023. Le Bourgeois will be back on the 8th of January to look back at not only round 16 and 17 and see if Luke Entwistle got his predictions right about where Nice Lens would be won, but also to talk about the Trophée des Champions, which is played on Wednesday, the 3rd of January between Paris Saint-Germain and Toulouse, the first trophy of the season. Up to grabs. Normally, it is the uh, curtain raiser at the start of the season. It was meant to be played in Southeast Asia at the start of the season, but was uh, rescheduled to now. So finally, we're going to get it. And it's going to be played at the Parc des Princes. So Paris Saint-Germain will be feeling right at home. That game will be then be followed by the round of 64 of the Coupe de France on the weekend, where Ligue 1 clubs enter the fray in the uh, massive Club Cup competition over 7000 teams taking part by that first weekend of January we'll be down to 64 so we'll be having a look back at that as well and then looking ahead there'll be deja vu there'll be player profiles there'll be all the regulars and so until then and on behalf of the entire Le Bourgeois team happy holidays and an awesome new year and uh, bon retablissement if you ever happen to overindulge a little bit with the festivities over the coming weeks. Thanks very much, everyone. Thank you, Luke. Thank you, Angus. Thank you, all the team that have been on the pod this year. Au revoir et à bientôt.